0: The wall. best search.
1: Yes, I know. Yes, I know
2: census. They're actually missing people
3: from the 1850 and 1860 census and their absence there is a potential indicator that they were
2: probably enslaved. But while Darity's plan has received traction, it still faces opposition.
4: The impression down here is that Caribbean people who live in the United States, black people, would not be entitled to any reparation paid by the U.S. government. But we are saying that's not right. We are saying that's divisive of the black population in the United States. We are saying that Caribbean immigrants have been harmed by that system through racial profiling, discrimination.
2: See, the black population in the US is pretty diverse. Most black people are foundational black Americans, meaning they're American descendants of enslaved people. Others are immigrants or the children of immigrants who came to the United States from mostly African and Caribbean countries. Those individuals may have ancestors who were enslaved, but wouldn't be considered eligible recipients for reparations in the United States.
3: Descendants of the enslaved have a claim that's linked directly to the failure to provide their ancestors with the promised 40-acre land grants. And that's uniquely a debt that is owed to the individuals who were enslaved, and it was not met, and to their descendants. The second reason that's somewhat related is the fact that the current or existing racial wealth gap in the United States is a consequence of policies that have been pursued by the federal government that built white wealth to the detriment of black wealth.
2: A major policy Darity is referring to is the Homestead Act of 1862, or H.R. 125 legislation to, quote, secure homesteads to actual settlers of public domain. The policy incentivized citizens to move onto and settle land that had been violently stolen from indigenous nations. It provided 160-acre land grants to over a million white families for a small fee, but excluded the 4 million formerly enslaved people from the program who had already been denied the 40-acre land grants they'd been promised. Through the act, 270 million acres of land was settled across 30 states over 124 years. Remember, owning land generates income, and passing land down to the next generation builds wealth. So the consequences of that decision are seen today. Approximately 45 million living white Americans have benefited from this massive asset-building legislation.
3: I would argue that virtually all black people throughout the diaspora, the African diaspora, have a claim for reparations, but they don't all have a claim for reparations from the United States government. The
2: horrors of slavery and its consequences are not uniquely American. The transatlantic slave trade transported approximately 12.5 million enslaved Africans across the Americas. The overwhelming majority of enslaved Africans were shipped directly to Latin America and the Caribbean. Spain and Britain shipped around a million enslaved Africans just to Jamaica. By 1833, slavery was abolished throughout the British Empire. But instead of compensating formerly enslaved people, Britain provided reasonable compensation to slave owners through a then 20 million pound loan, which British taxpayers fully repaid in 2015. According to one estimate, that's worth over 20 billion British pounds today. For decades, descendants of enslaved people have been fighting for reparations in these regions. And in 2013, several Caribbean countries united to form the CARICOM Reparations Commission, which developed a strategy for reparations that focuses on reparatory justice.
4: The 10-point plan begins with the demand for an apology,
2: Which is followed by calls for repatriation, an indigenous people's development program, eradicating illiteracy, and debt cancellation to name a few. CARICOM has sent letters requesting reparations from countries like Spain, France, Britain, and the Netherlands.
4: The response was negative, for the most part. No country admitted to the wrong. No country took responsibility. No country apologized. No country committed to repair.
2: Today, we're still living with the legacies of colonialism and enslavement that have left black populations across the globe at a disadvantage.
3: There is definitely a case that can be made that there has been a global pattern of exploitation of people of African descent. We're
2: here
1: to demand what's owed to us from the United States government.
2: And despite incremental progress and different approaches to reparations programs, people across the Americas continue to fight for redress.
4: Right now. This is a contentious issue, it's affecting relationships, world relationships, global relationships, country versus country These disputes exist. I think Reparatory Justice would help the society to heal itself. Both people of African descent, African people, and European people. I think it would be good and beneficial to all of us.
3: Reparations! What do we want? Now. What do we want? Reparations! When do we want? Now.
5: Saying goodbyes? Saying hello. Do you think your wife can hear you? No. And why bother?
0: Oh, thank you. Hello?
6: Each pin on this map marks the location of an attack on black Americans and their communities from the Civil War into the 1900s. It's no accident you're unlikely to find many of these in American history textbooks there's been a concerted effort to whitewash and cover many of them up. But while some of the stories may have been scrubbed from the records and textbooks throughout history, survivors and their descendants are speaking out, shedding light on the violent events that took place in their communities and exposing the lingering social and economic damage caused by some of the worst racial violence in American history. After the American Civil War, the country entered a period known as Reconstruction, during which it set about reintegrating the Confederate states and nearly 4 million newly freed enslaved people. But African Americans were hardly given a foundation on which to build their new lives after the war. No reparations were paid to the formerly enslaved for what they and their families had endured for generations. Many had been told they would be given a small plot of land to get started on. And while there were plans to allocate some land to the formerly enslaved after the war, such as Special Field Order No. 15, much of the land seized by Union forces or promised to African Americans was later given back to white Southern citizens, ex-slave owners, and to white Northern entrepreneurs. The following decades saw African Americans slowly gain more economic and political power. They bought land, started businesses, and built schools. But in many places where African Americans succeeded, White Americans set out to destroy that success.
5: When you loan money to a fraudster, you lose, big time. Did you know that 5% of loan applications contained...
7: The Civil War was a revolution. It destroyed the most powerful slave-owning class in the world. And now the question is, what's going to replace it? The freed people had a clear understanding of what their freedom meant. They wanted self-determination. They wanted to reconstitute their families. They wanted to live as far away from white people as they could. They basically wanted to be left alone. But they also wanted to be citizens. And they wanted to exercise the rights that other citizens did. And so on some level, reconstruction was designed to answer this question about the meaning of freedom. And so African-Americans became citizens. Slavery's abolished with the 13th Amendment, the 14th Amendment. Nationalizes citizenship and creates due process. And so now black people have equal protection before the law. And they can now run for office, hold office, and participate in society. It succeeded for a brief time that it existed. Black people were running for election, they were holding office, there were integrated schools. We were beginning to act and behave like a democracy. By 1877, as the North tires of Reconstruction, we see the withdrawal of troops, and on some level, really, the withdrawal of federal protection of Black people's rights. Just because the federal government said Reconstruction was over, did mean that Black people stopped living their lives like free people. They continued to hold office. They continued to form these very important biracial political parties and movements. They joined interracial unions. They began to own businesses, in some cases owning land, extraordinary success in the face of a lot of violence and not much federal protection. But what happens in the 1890s is that the Southern elite decides for themselves what the meaning of freedom is going to be. They're going to strip black people of their citizenship. White supremacy is reconstituted in the 1890s. It can't look the same as it did in slavery. And so what you end up with is disfranchisement and segregation and sharecropping, and convent labor, and debt peonage, but underwriting that is extraordinary violence and terror.
5: I like this phrase that sociologists and historians often use to describe the country in terms of race relations. And that is that this was a period they described as the nadir of race relations in America, the low point of race relations in America. And they use that language because there was this proliferation of these events that were called race riots that were mainly assault on black communities. It was in New York and Philadelphia, Baltimore and Memphis and Omaha and Chicago and D.C. Summer and fall of 1919 was dubbed by James Weldon Johnson, who was with the NAACP, as Red Summer. Red is a metaphorical reference to blood that flowed through the streets from all this violence post-World War I. The other thing that's happening during this period is lynching lynching is is simply a form of domestic terrorism aimed more often than not at black folks the real aim is to strike fear in the hearts and minds of a group black folks in this case to make sure that black folks knew and stayed in their place and so lynching was running rampant during this period
8: The Elaine that we see today is very different from the Elaine at the time of the massacre. At the time of the massacre, it was one of the fastest growing cities and local economies in the state. The bulk of this new revenue that was uh, coming in was from cotton sales. Cotton's at the heart of understanding what happened during the Elaine massacre. First of all, there are sharecroppers the official name for it is debt peonage. On its surface, it seems very, very fair. Planters offer plots of their land to sharecroppers in exchange for their labor. The way the system is supposed to work is at the end of the growing season, the profits from the harvest are supposed to be split 50-50, half going to the planter, the other half going to the laborer. However, Uh, this isn't what normally happens. There's an inherent problem when you have a planter that has to go a whole growing season and he has no income. You have to ask yourself, how does he survive? And he survives by borrowing from the planter. And this is where the plantation store comes into play. Every plantation had a plantation store. Its sharecroppers could go to that store and get items on credit what most people don't know is that the credit offered at this store was at astronomical rates even when the sharecropper received his half of the shares quite often because of these doctored books and these inflated prices he was never able to get out of debt and therefore he really could not leave because he owed money what sharecropping or debt peonage did was enable planters to have a workforce that they virtually paid nothing for. The planters would sell the cotton and quite often come back and say, well, this is all I got for it and pay the sharecropper only a fraction of the half that he was supposed to get. This kept them in perpetual debt. And with the judicial system that was not going to allow them to leave the debt hanging, the sharecroppers were in essence made slaves. African-Americans had just gone off to war. So many African-Americans who had participated in the war were given promises that if they went and fought this war, they return as full-fledged citizens. So when they return to these cotton fields and they find themselves being cheated just as they had before, they believe that they have recourse. And the recourse that they believe they have now is the courts. They band together, form a union, hire an attorney, and this will be their undoing once the planters find out
9: Every time, I, every time, I pop out, all eyes on me when I walk out. dropping the top on the ride out. She fell in love with the vibes now. I gotta trust when the ties out. is a here when the lights out. She wanna pull up to my house. She wanna pull up to my house. That feel. I got your girl in the fields. She wanna ride in the square. She wanna come and get laid, She caught me her doctor feel. Uh. Telling me just how she feels. Yeah. She thought the hell I was real. Well. Go come and see Dr. Phil. Yeah. It's like 6 a.m. in the morning. Yeah. Bring your best friend. Oh, best friend. Your best friend. Uh. Yeah, bring that best friend. 24-7. She texting, Girl, who is you texting? While I'm out. How she, feels. Yeah. she thought the hell up was real. Yeah. Go come and see Dr. Phil. Slide out with the best fan. yeah. Pop out with the girlfriend, yeah. Yeah, yeah. She wanna go and get dressed yeah, up, yeah. yeah, yeah I got the girl on my dress yeah. up. What you say right now? I can really pull up in the push, my black girl. What you want? Got the racks in the back. You should let me know if you would oh, die. With the girl on guard.
0: Riding the whip, she wanna sit in the front. I cannot love her, just shoddy in love. I cannot trust what you you want,
9: trust. Yeah. She got me hurt hi- out yeah, the field. I got your girl in the field. Yeah. She want to ride in the square. Yeah. She want to come and get lit. Yeah. She got me, her- yeah. me hurt out the field. Yeah. Telling me just how she feels. Yeah. She thought that her love was real. Yeah. Go come and see Dr. Phil. Yeah. Uh,
1: she like oh, ain't
8: The last evening of September of 1919, there is a meeting called for the Progressive Farmers and Household Union. This was the union that the sharecroppers had formed to sue the plantation owners for their rights. Plantation owners got wind that these meetings were happening. They sent out bands of people who are also sheriffs and law enforcement, but also individuals who work on those plantations as sort of overseers. There's a shooting that occurs right outside of one of the meetings. Two of the individuals uh, who have been sent there by the planters to the law-, law enforcement agents, one is injured and one is killed. And when the report gets out of the shooting, those individuals that had gone there the RAS meeting will begin passing on messages that are totally unfounded at that point, that there was an insurrection going to take place and that this insurrection was intended to overthrow the county and displace white rule there. The response to that report will be that hundreds of individuals will pour in from neighboring counties. The white uh, american legion that had just been established months before would be deputized these men are sent out to arrest the union members and there's a shootout when they return and try to arrest them from dc orders will come to the governor and to military bases there that 500 troops will be mobilized and sent in by the federal government even though the sharecroppers are arrested This isn't enough to stop the mobs that have already been called in. They begin shooting at uh, any Black person that they saw. Uh, Many Blacks will begin hiding in the swamps or hiding in thickets. These men in small groups will begin hunting them out. They saw the, the military trains arrive. And when the troops came looking for Blacks, they assumed that they were there to help them. So blacks began coming out of the woods and going toward the soldiers and were shot down, some of them by machine gunners. The governor himself raced over in a car to try to be there for the photo ops and to participate.
3: My grandfather said uh, they were surrounding people and they were, uh, you know, shooting birds and asking questions even with women and children. They lost friends in the massacre because all of them stayed in the area and when people came, they were just shooting everybody. They would not got seen, you got, a thing, you got
4: a shot. Everything was just shoot to kill, shoot to kill. And then I was told that when they had killed the Black, a ditch was dug and they all were thrown into that ditch as one big lump. Son, not a grave, not a burial, but all were thrown in a ditch.
8: Their homes that were formerly slave cabins that are on the property or, or shanties that had been largely established by the planters and weren't owned by them. What we see is looting of these cabins, the taking of the the little livestock they have, and the taking of property that belonged to them. We do not know how many people were killed. There has never been a single grave that has been discovered or recovered. People had to make a conscious decision whether you stayed and you continued to work or whether you fled. And a great number of people fled after this event.
6: According to some descendants, as residents fled the town and surrounding Phillips County, they were forced to leave behind land they owned, which was then stolen by white residents, some of whom perpetrated the massacre. While evidence of black land ownership in and around Elaine from the time period has been difficult to find, some black descendants claim that's because a lot of the documents were likely destroyed. What is clear is that a consistent oral history of land theft has been passed down through generations of black residents of Phillips County.
3: We ain't got no proof, but we do have the oil stores. And if you listen to the oil stores, all of them assisted. You know, people can't make this stuff up.
8: You know, if you listen to these stories, you cannot make this up. The families of plantation owners have made themselves considerably wealthy. From the cotton boom that took place there and the generations that were able to either exploit uh, slavery or exploit black labor through that peonage. But there was no profit. There was no gain for these individuals who actually were out there doing the work. And now, like uh, the old hedge clippers, they've all been discarded, uh, forgotten, left behind. And that's where uh, Elaine is today. It has some of the highest poverty rates in the country, high unemployment rates. It's riddled with health issues, poor drinking water. There is no school in the town. They have to bust their children out.
3: It's a lot of money here, but there's no generation wealth for black people. When the killing was over, all the wealth for black people just went away.
4: Going to Eline is like going to the end of the world. There's only one way in and one way
0: out. Oh, thank you. Well, that's it.
10: Ryan Nobles is there with the latest. Really tough. Tonight, the University of Virginia football
11: coach and its team still in a state of shock.
1: Feels like it's a nightmare to be
11: honest with you. And I'm ready for somebody to pinch me and, and wake me up and,
5: uh, and say that this didn't happen.
11: Questions remain about what led to the murders of Deshaun Perry, Laval Davis, and Devin Chandler, all shot and killed on a campus bus Monday. The suspect, 22-year-old Christopher Darnell Jones Jr., is scheduled to be arraigned tomorrow, charged with three counts of second-degree murder. His motive is still an open question, but the suspect's father believes his son was being picked on.
5: He said, uh, some people were picking on him or whatever, uh, He didn't know how to handle it. University officials confirmed Jones
11: was part of a campus hazing investigation, but said the investigation was unresolved. Can you speak to whether or not the hazing incident that the police department uh, talked about yesterday had anything to do with the football program? I'm not aware of anything related to that, and I don't have any details beyond that, but uh, I'm not aware of anything related to that. Meanwhile, the team has now gone two days without practicing and is scheduled to play on Saturday. All this while the campus community continues to mourn the loss of the young men. Among them, Virginia's governor, Glenn Youngkin. It's horrific. It's truly horrific. As a dad and uh, as a Virginian, uh, we're all broken today. We're all broken. Oh, you're kind of... Professor um, Jack Hamilton taught both Devin and Laval, describing them as bright lights on and off the field. How will that hit you when you walk into that classroom and see that desk not occupied? I don't, I honestly, I, I, I
10: don't know. I'm sure it will be devastating. A heartbroken campus still searching for answers. And Ryan, as we've reported, there were two other victims being treated at the hospital. Any update on their conditions?
11: There is, Lester, and it's good news. Marley Morgan was treated and released from the hospital. She's expected to make a full recovery. And Michael Hollins, a member of the football team,'s undergone two successful surgeries, according to his father. He is still listed in serious condition. And a late update tonight, Lester, we're told that additional charges have been handed down against the suspect related to the injuries that
10: these victims sustained. Lester. Ryan Nobles, thank you. Another deadly school tragedy, this one involving four students at the University of Idaho, has left authorities searching for answers and a college community on edge. Gotti Schwartz has that story. In the small university town of Moscow, Idaho, a massacre of four
12: college students in the middle of the night so horrific, the coroner is still processing what she saw.
7: They'll be looking under fingernails. They'll be doing all sorts of different
12: exams. It was very, very traumatic. The four students and close friends found dead inside this home. An autopsy is pending, but police say an edged weapon like a knife was used in what they call a targeted attack. The friends, seen together in this picture, posted just hours before their murders. Ethan Chapin, a triplet from Washington, majoring in sport and tourism management in his freshman year, featured in a loving post written by another victim, Zanna Kernodal, who wrote, Life is so much better with you in it. Love you. Zana was a junior majoring in marketing and worked as a server at a local restaurant with victim Madison Mogan, a senior in marketing. And Kaylee Gonzalez, a senior whose family said was the ultimate go-getter and adventurer tonight heartbroken by the news. Investigators releasing few details while the mayor telling the New York Times it may have been a crime of passion. Every little noise, I was like is someone in the house? Like I don't know and it was was just scary. Like it's all just shocking. Now a grieving college town waiting for answers about a murder scene too horrific to believe. Now, when it comes to a suspect or a motive, at this point, police have only said that they do not have anyone in custody. But they have reason to believe that this was an isolated incident, a targeted attack.
10: And at this point, they do not think that there is any imminent threat to the public at large. Lester. All right. Gotti Schwartz, thank you. In Georgia, a state judge ruled today that a law banning abortion after six weeks of pregnancy cannot be enforced. The so called fetal heartbeat law took effect this summer after the Supreme Court struck down Roe v. Wade. But the judge said it was unconstitutional when it was passed in 2019 because Roe was still in effect. In 60 seconds, the man accused of attacking House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's husband in court and the
0: Oh, thank you.